The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, it looked like we saw a lot of technical trading on the day Wednesday, kind of a mixed bag, mostly lower in the grain and oilseed trade as we continue to march towards Friday's big USDA data dump. Welcome into the program. Thanks for joining us here today on Market Talk. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Got a, a great show lined up for you as uh, we continue to head towards those big USDA reports coming out here at the end of the week. As I said, it's a data dump from the uh, USDA, and it's a report that really kind of sets the stage each and every year. We're going to talk about some of the uh, market action, again, largely kind of technical-type trade on the day Wednesday, it looked like. We're going to dive in and have a discussion uh, with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity analytics he is uh, dug out from the snow and blizzard at his office there in kansas and he's going to join us for a conversation coming up here in segment two and three today no doubt mike's going to have some thoughts as we preview the usda reports we got the conab numbers out for brazil on the day wednesday as well uh, we're going to take a look at those i'm sure and largely just kind of get some thoughts and some risk management ideas that you need to think about heading into a big report day like we have coming up on Friday with USDA. So looking forward to a uh, good conversation with Mike Zuzalo coming up here in segment two and three on today's show. We'll also get a look at some news headlines coming up here later on in the program. A few things we are keeping an eye on here as we head towards the uh, end of the week. We got uh, Red Sea shipping concerns, uh, the militant attacks by Houthi rebels continuing to happen. That is an issue that we want to take a look at. We're going to hear some comments from economist with American Farm Bureau Federation, Danny Munch, and take a look at a few other news stories coming up here at the end of today's program. First up, though, let's get some market analysis with Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist at StoneX. Arlen joined me for our midday commentary on Wednesday, and we take a look at the grain trade and some of that technical type action, consolidation type action that we saw on Wednesday's session. We also get some thoughts in livestock, kind of a mixed bag there on the day Wednesday as well. We start with a look at the overall grain picture. Here's Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Yeah, and I would say consolidating ahead of Friday's big USDA data dump. This January set of reports is the biggest data dump of the year. So just because of the sheer volume of data contained within it, there are Odds are high you're going to have a surprise somewhere in one direction or the other. As we look at uh, one of the key numbers that's going to be looked at, it's, it's got to be that uh, Brazil soybean production estimate. Everybody's expecting a drop in the production estimate, but by how, how far? The range of expectations is rather large as we go forward, uh, stretching from anywhere from 161 to 151 million metric tons. CONAB came out this morning somewhere around 155 million metric tons. The average trade guess is 156 million metric tons. I've been anticipating somewhere around 154 million metric tons. I think the trade 
the whisper number for the trade is probably closer to 151 million metric tons. Well, and thinking about grains here, it's uh, largely good at, like you said, marking time and consolidating. I know a lot of folks are in this cord market, especially, are just kind of keeping an eye to see if we could hold some of the recent lows here. I, it looks like we're, we're trying our best to, to do that here on, on Wednesday. I think that's going to be a big key to watch as well moving into Friday's reports is whether or not corn goes back down and tests some of these recent contract lows. Yeah, I think you're right on there. You hate to go into report to this significance sitting just above low significant chart lows like that because it means if you get a bearish surprise, you can go ahead and break through that and open the door for another leg lower. Um, just from the reaction of the algos trading it. So the corn market is vulnerable to that aspect. Now, on the other hand, if you get a bullish surprise, maybe it confirms a bottom, um, a near-term low on the market, um, but it does leave us vulnerable there in the corn market in particular. Wheat is a little bit more significantly trying to put in some type of a low on the Chicago market. Kansas City and Minneapolis still look pretty vulnerable. How about over in the uh, protein sector today? Cattle are looking fairly decent, uh, upside pr uh, presence here, uh, green on the screen and feeders leading the way. Hogs, a uh, little bit of red there, maybe running out of steam in this hog trade after a few days higher. What's your thoughts overall on the proteins today? Yeah, I think running out of steam in the hog market, we've seen some big gains and now we're kind of consolidating there overall. Weather is still the primary factor impacting negatively impacting performance of both cattle and hogs, even though hogs are in confinement facilities. Some of the cold air moving in is really expected to hurt performance. We've already seen that in the cattle, which are fed more outdoors uh, in their feeding facilities. In fact, some of those feeding facilities in the Western feedlot region, we're just now today starting to get to the cattle to get them fed again after blizzard conditions earlier this week. Uh, doesn't sound like there's going to be much cash cattle trade this week. Some We have one packing plant in Dodge City still not operating because of the weather. Um, so all kinds of weather disruptions expected to continue another system coming through this weekend, followed by possibly another one next week. So this problem is going to be with us for a little while. Taking some of the excess poundage of, of meat production off of the market, that's been one of our problems of late, is excessive production, and the weather is now taking care of that problem for us. And once again, great stuff there with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joined us for our Midday Commentary on the day Wednesday, January 10th. You can find the Midday Commentary each and every day wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Well, the USDA, again, is going to release a lot of data coming up on Friday. They'll release the final production numbers for the 2023 crop season. Joe Vaklovic, founder and president of Standard Grain, says Friday's crop production report is an important one. Big report on Friday. This January report, it's a market mover, has been historically. I know a lot of people are looking at the South American production numbers, and those are important. They will change. I don't think that's going to be what moves the market, though. If you see a surprise in the report, it's going to be something on the U.S. side. I don't know which way, but if there is a surprise, it's going to be in one of those items. We know the Brazilian soybean numbers coming down. That's going to be old news by the time it's printed. And Vaklovic talks about expectations going into that report. 
I can make an argument for a higher corn demand number. The reason being is ethanol. The pace of U.S. ethanol production is running 5 or 6% ahead of where we were last year, yet USDA, I think, is projecting we're only going to be less than 3% better than last year. So an extra 2%, you're talking north of 100 million bushels of extra demand if we can keep this pace going. So I wouldn't be shocked if you saw maybe that on the corn demand side, which would be a positive, maybe not a big market mover, but it would be something. And again, that's comments with Joe Vaklovic from Standard Grain. Again, coming up on Friday, got a lot of data out from USDA. We'll get those final production numbers for the 2023 crop. We'll also get grain stocks, winter wheat and canola seedings, and, and much more with the January WASD numbers and everything uh, being thrown our way coming up on Friday. I mentioned this. Uh, we got the CONAB numbers out on Wednesday morning, and CONAB cut Brazil's 23-24 harvest of soybeans by nearly 5 million metric tons from last month due to dry weather in key areas. The corn crop was also trimmed slightly, though the heavily exported second crop, the Safrina crop, was left unchanged. We're no doubt going to talk about those numbers and get some thoughts in the market action ahead of Friday's USDA reports. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics joins us next here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we work through midweek trade, we saw a little bit of downward pressure in the grains. Kind of a mixed bag of quarter wheat pressure in soy with uh, a lot in front of these markets here. A lot of technical trading, it felt like, uh, on the day Wednesday. But, of course, we got those big reports coming up on Friday from USDA. So we're going to break it all down. Joining us for a conversation, Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, always good to talk with you, my friend. And uh, I know we were chatting before we went on the air here. Uh, you were able to dig out from some of that heavy snow that hit you there in Kansas. So glad we could chat today. Yeah, me too. It's a great time to talk to Jesse ahead of uh, the WASDA report Friday and the uh, CPA, CPI data coming out on Thursday. But yeah, this weather, um, it, it, you know, putting it a, kind of a fine point on it, I don't think a lot of weather people were thinking that January was going to be cold. In fact, they were saying it was going to be in the plain states, hot and dry. And uh, that could really create some havoc in the hard red wheat price action, as well as the cattle and hog price action. Definitely. I, I couldn't agree more. And I know we're going to talk livestock here a little bit later on. I want to start with uh, the overall grain picture. And I guess uh, I guess before we really dive into the report, let's look at what we're seeing on Wednesday. You brought up uh, the CPI data that's going to be coming out Thursday. And, and largely, like I said, the grains, it was kind of a mixed bag with more pressure in soybeans. And to me, it, far, it felt largely technical kind of trading on Wednesday and consolidation type trading. Is that kind of what you thought, Mike? Yeah. In the, in the soy complex, especially, I think you nailed it there. The meal market had been dancing on a three-year trend line support right around that 364.50 area. If we lose that three-year support trend line, um, it really opens up the downside, kind of like what we saw in the beans a week or two ago. And then there's another kind of a slide off 
uh, in the monthly bean chart as well that kind of corresponds pretty well with the meal uh, not hitting another trend line for another $30 to $40 lower. So this is a really key point is the, the January contracts for meal and oil and beans are going off on Friday, the same day as the report. And I'd really like to see that three-year support trend line hold in there as January expires, because as we remember, the meal was still staying inverted in terms of the Jan holding a premium over the March as we went into the delivery. And we really need to keep that intact in order to offset some of this better weather and this more bearish mindset that the soybeans are needing to go down to play catch up with the corn and wheat and, and pull weather premium out. The corn and wheat had seen weather premium pulled out uh, several weeks, if not a couple months back. Well, in terms of this soybean market, too, uh, you know, we talk a lot about South American weather. That's been the the sexy headline here, and rightfully so. It is a very important issue, but China really hasn't been in this soybean market in quite some time. We haven't seen much in the way of any flash sales, really, I think, in a couple of weeks now. And I really enjoy our midweek conversations because you look at a lot of uh, different analysis and Looking at a chart here on the video feed, China inflationary data. Talk to me a little bit about this and how it can maybe parlay itself into what we're seeing in this soy complex, especially right now. There's a lot to unpack here. And so, you know, we can talk on a one to one level after the show. Uh, if you want to, you know, take the globalcomresearch.com website and take a hit um, there and, and ask for a, a subscription trial period because. What this chart really shows, Jesse, is I think the fear in the market that's manifesting itself in the trade for the grains in the commodity sector as a whole, <clears throat> led by the wheat, led by the crude oil. And again, those are the two leaders for me in early 2024. If we're going to make a low um, in the commodity sector, I think it's going to show up in wheat and crude oil first. But what we see in the green rectangle is the China PPI at purple and the food CPI in the blue and they're both running deep and negative territory right now in 2024. In fact, the food CPI has been running in negative territory for many months uh, at this stage, almost five months at this point. And the last time we've been in this type of scenario where both were deep in the red and deep in negative territory was that 2015 through 2018 time period. And I think this chart shows what the trade is fearful of seeing in terms of commodity prices and prices continuing to go lower and lower and lower and not find any support. And I think this is where Friday's WASDI report to me is a key element to setting this market back in terms of a reset and, and bringing back instead of a negative demand mindset, such as in crude oil, or as you say, in soybeans with no fresh sales uh, with China, uh, we want to see the supply side again and see if Conab's numbers, which came out today, which barely made any difference in the trading price action, um, are going to be taken up by USDA and see what that does to the world ending stocks because Conab's corn number is now below 118 compared to USDA's 129. Uh, their new Conab, uh, their new book uh, bean number is 155.3 versus USDA's 161 million metric ton number back in December. I just don't think we're pricing this damage already been done on the supply side and in the weather in South America in yet. And if I'm wrong about that and we get what USDA, uh, they confirm Conab's numbers and the market doesn't react accordingly, then I've got to start worrying about this chart a lot more 
and that price action that goes back to that 2015 to 2018 time period. Well, and it's uh, I'm glad you brought up Conab because I was going to talk about that too, and and I'm glad we're tying that in with this chart here, Mike, because. I'm with you. I was quite surprised there wasn't more of a market reaction to those CODAM numbers. I wonder if uh, too many people are just putting a, a lot of emphasis on whatever USDA is going to say on Friday and really just kind of throwing the CODAM numbers out the window because these USDA reports coming up on Friday are always very important as kind of a stage set for the year, Mike. I think that's a real possibility, if not a probability, because if I remember correctly, that's what we did last month. Conab came in with the lower number. USDA met them a little bit on beans by taking the bean number down 2 million tons, but they didn't change the corn at all. Conab was still around 118, 119 at that time. And Jesse, I think you hit upon the sentiment and momentum indicators that I look at so much when it comes to the funds and the investment flows, because they help, I think, suggest in the trade whether we're losing real demand in 2024 or we're just perceived we're losing demand right now. And I think a lot of this can be tracked back to China once again in terms of them talking about they being President Xi talking about reunifying China. And that sent alarm bells through the commodity trade this past mm -hmm. week or two when it came to what was going on with Taiwan with their election. Guess what? Right around the corner this weekend and probably won't know much until early next week. So I really see this mid-January time period as a major time period for joining the supply demand back together <clears throat> and hopefully, as I said, bringing a reset into these markets. We got the latest EIA numbers out on a Wednesday as well. Uh, look at this chart. Talk to me about what you're seeing here and just with the overall numbers we got out from uh, the energy side here, uh, ethanol numbers, et cetera, et cetera, here this week. Yeah, this chart shows you the distillates and, and the stocks build uh, very far right. Look at the sharp move up in distillates and unleaded gasoline stocks. Um, we're back up to uh, 132 or yeah, 132 million barrels of distillates. That puts you up to the highest level since September 2021. Now, two things about this chart, Jess. If you look at the green areas, right when the green areas start, that's going to be your different quarters. And if you look at the beginning of a year, typically in Q1 of about every year, we see big stocks builds in the in the in the unleaded and even in the distillate sometimes and even though you're using a lot of heating oil in the winter time you still tend to see a big stocks build after the very after the first of the year and each year typically so this is not uncommon but i think what this type of chart and this reaction by the trade today in the crude oil market again again one of our major leaders and why we're looking at this chart today I think one of the things that was a, a reaction and a consequence of this chart was the trade saying, look, see, we're right. There's no demand out there. We're losing demand. And then you saw the ethanol numbers. They, too, showed a little bit better production build uh, production number, but they also saw a very big stocks build. So we got to really wonder, are we in a recession right now? And I think that's part of the element of this overall demand picture. Ethanol margins, are, are you worried about where ethanol margins are at right now in terms of this corn market, Mike? Yeah, it's interesting because I looked at those right before going on the air. And if you look at northeast Iowa, north central Iowa, you're talking probably 13 to 30 cents in the red right now from what I can tell. 
that I think is a signature of your basis improving in a lot of these areas where there's ethanol plants. It's, it's not nearly where it was, but it's been improving while this futures market's going down. So yes, that is a kind of in a yellow alert area for me right now. I'd want to see those margins go back positive. And, and honestly, I'd like to see the unleaded and distillate stocks go down as we get into Q2, just like they typically do seasonally. All right. Well, we got more ground to cover with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. We're going to dive in and get some more thoughts on the upcoming reports from USDA on Friday and get some analysis of that. We're going to talk livestock as well. That and more coming up here after the break as we're back with more on Market Talk with Mike Zuzalo on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are joined today by Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics as we talk about the Wednesday market action and preview Friday's reports. And let's talk a little bit more about what we're going to have in store from USDA coming up on Friday. It's, it's really a data dump, Mike, uh, for, <laughs> for lack of a better term. There is a lot that gets thrown at this market uh, I want to talk about world court ending stocks first. You uh, gave us this chart as well on our video feed. Let's start here and just talk about what you're seeing and what you're expecting on the corn side heading into Friday's reports. Yeah, this is one of the major points of, of this reset that I'm talking about because I think we've got strong enough corn demand. We shouldn't lose any exports. I think we could still see an acreage or yield shift to cut the production down a little bit. And I still think that we have a decent chance of getting closer to my ending stocks number of about 1.97, 1.95 billion for 23-24. On top of that, we have this massive disparate distinction between where CONAB, the official Brazilian agency is versus USDA on corn production. And we're talking about a 12 to 15 million ton difference in terms of private estimates versus USDA. And that would open up the door for as much as 30, 35 million metric tons of lower exports for corn uh, in the 24, 25 marketing year versus what USDA is probably going to give us in the early part of the year. So it, it really is about the corn ending stocks number for me on the global basis. USDA came in at 315 uh, last month. The average trade guess on the, one of the big news wires is 313.8. The range is 309.5 to 318. I'm at 306.3 with the idea that we are going to see some changes in both Brazil and the United States and not lose demand. Now, if I get that kind of a number or close to it, say we go down to the low end of the range of 309.5, on the newswire estimates, I'd call that a victory because then all of a sudden our stocks to use ratios, Jesse, get really tight, like four year tight and even banging on nine, 10 year tight stocks to use ratios. Another chart we'll look at as well, the global course grain stocks. Uh, talk about this chart here and kind of what you're seeing uh, and tie this in with, uh, with the world corn chart we just looked at. 
Yeah, coarse grains is typically 90% uh, or uh, excuse me, corn is typically about 90% of the coarse grains. And I like the coarse grains because it encompasses all that you can think of in terms of competitors with corn. And what we're looking at here is a coarse grain stocks to use ratios uh, chart going all the way back to 1984. And that's your bars. Uh, your, your red line, though, is the U.S. average cash price. So take a look at the area where the red lines go sharply higher. There's really only two that you can see since 2005, 2006. One was the obvious drought year of 2012. And then the other one was just recently here with the Ukraine-Russia war. But notice where the stocks to use ratios need to be um, in order to get this type of a market reaction in the stocks, uh, in the average price for corn. I am putting a 24-25 coarse grain stocks to use ratio at a little under 23%. And that takes you down to a four-year low. And if I, we could lose another half percent, all of a sudden we're down the lowest level since 2014. I would say that most analysts right now, that at least that I have heard through clients, are not really looking at this tight of a situation. Um, but this is where the January crop report, Friday's crop report, could set us off into rethinking whether we have ample supplies globally of corn or not. Because these numbers, I'm not overdoing it on the demand. I'm not overdoing it on yields. I'm really trying to live with two, three, five-year averages, and I still stay that tight, especially if I'm right about the Brazil number being 118. Well, at the end of the day, Mike, uh, going into any report, and especially this one, we know there could be surprises. We know it could be volatile. And, and you know, we could do everything we can to forecast and, and guess what USDA is going to give us. But uh, until we see those numbers come out on Friday, we don't exactly know. Uh, but again, we can look at a lot of great analysis like you do. So in your eyes, with your analysis, thinking risk management here ahead of Friday's reports, what do folks need to remember with grains in terms of risk management? Yeah, for me, I, I've made the case that corn should be the bright spot of this report. You can get a decent March call option in the corn for well under 10 cents a bushel, including costs. And I think that's something to look at for those off the combine bushels or last 30-day bushels that you've had to sell in this hole as the market's going down. I think the big thing that you brought to my mind when you framed what you just said, Jesse, was 2023, a year ago today, we were thinking about 2012 drought and we were, talk we were thinking about unbelievably high cattle prices. We got high cattle prices, but nothing close to what many thought we would get. And we didn't get that 2012 drought. We're a year on now, and we're actually on the exact opposite mindset. We're worried like crazy about the cattle prices. We're worried like crazy about corn prices going lower because of China especially. And it's just amazing to me how we've gone from one extreme to the other. And that's why I try and do what I do with the value level analysis and what you and I just went through briefly is try and put both sides of the equation together, the funds and the fundamentals. This may be one of the best buying opportunities for the commodities as an investment class, we just need a couple things to go right with us. The first one being that USDA report. Well, we'll see what USDA throws our way on Friday, and it's uh, no doubt going to be a fun day in the markets. Mike, let's go over to livestock, and you brought up the winter weather. 
your thoughts. Uh, I'm surprised we maybe haven't seen the winter weather completely impact either the cattle or the hog markets here this week. At least that's what it feels like to me. I don't think we've seen a whole lot of weather premium thrown in here, even though that snow really blasting some key parts of feedlot country. So uh, talk about that a little bit. Is Do you think this has already been put into the market or, or not here right now, Mike? No, I agree with you. I think part of it has in the hog market, and, and I think the cattle market could have gone lower had it not been for the weather. But I think two things the market's really watching for to get a better in, indication of what direction to take this market is Friday's report because we get updated livestock numbers there as well, very important livestock numbers, but even more importantly, we don't really know what this winter weather has done to the consumption side in terms of grocery store and restaurants. We don't know because these weather models are, keep shifting um, where the snow's going to be and where the cold's gonna, whether it's gonna lay in here for the next 30 to 45 days or not. These uncertainties, I think, are keeping some potential longs off the market and out of the marketplace, Jesse. If I had to guess, we have more longs sitting on the sidelines than we do more shorts at this point. Um, and I think that's especially imp important given that we do get this CPI inflation data along with the weekly export sales um, for the livestock market on Thursday. So these uh, two major things surrounded by some other minor things make me think cattle markets probably need to go higher. I still feel like by the end of this month, we should be in the mid 170s as far as a fair price, maybe even higher than that, depending on how cold we get, because I do have ranchers really starting to get nervous with these new weather patterns that are coming out. Yeah, and that's uh, something to watch closely is uh, how this all impacts in this uh, cold, cold weather that's on tap, uh, how this impacts our, our cattle ranchers and, and the health of our herds out there. And I was just looking at the, some of the market closes too. Um, you know, hogs, I thought maybe we were running out of some future steam, but then we eked out some more green on the screen there. So what is that, five sessions in a row, I believe, Mike? Uh, hey, don't look now, but hogs <laughs> trying to stage a rally here a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, it feels a lot better to be at 71, 72 than 50, 52. So that's a really nice thing. The other thing I'd say about the, the cattle, kind yeah. of similar to what I was talking about on the corn, Jesse, is feeder cattle have a 52-week moving average support level right around 221.80 area. I'd be really disappointed if we take that out on a weekly basis, given this weather and given what I think packers are pretty short bought at this point because they've been running in the red so deeply. They're probably not really wanting to kill too much and put it in the storage. Mike, always enjoy the conversation. Anything final you want to share or reiterate for folks today? No, I just want to reiterate the idea that a lot of data coming out here in the next 30 days. Sign up for a newsletter for three months. It's only $100 at globalcomresearch.com. You'll also get all my text blasts as well for three months. It's a really good value, and I think you'll enjoy our research. Globalcom with two M's, research.com. That's where you could find Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, always great to chat. Have an awesome rest of your week, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, Jesse. You too. Always a great discussion, again, with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics joining us here today on Market Talk. All right, let's recap Wednesday's closing numbers uh, in the futures trade before we get to the uh, end of this segment. March corn, quarter penny higher, 459.5. May corn unchanged, 471.5. July corn, that was down three quarters, 481 and a quarter. I want to look at new crop December 24 corn as well, down three quarters of a penny, 492. 
In soybeans, January down 12 and three quarters, 1228 and three quarters. March beans down 12, 1236 and a half. July down 11 and a quarter, 1255 and a quarter. And November new crop soybeans down three, 1205 and a half. We look over at soybean meal, January down 470 a ton, 361.30. March down 330 a ton, 364.30. Soybean oil, January down 26 points, 47.86. March down 20 points, 48.25. Chicago wheat, March three quarters higher, 610 to three quarters. July, Chicago wheat up one, 631 at three quarters. March, Kansas City, hard red winter wheat down two and a half, 624 and a half. KC wheat for July down one, 633 at a quarter. Spring wheat, March, two and a quarter higher, 707 at three quarters. July up two and a half, 726 and a quarter. We saw March oats, six higher, 385 and a half. Quickly in livestock, February live cattle down two, 170.75. April live cattle up seven, 173.67. January feeders up 85, 224.62. March up 125, 226.12. And hogs, February 20 higher, 72.07. April hogs up 45, 78.95. We'll take a look at news headlines and wrap up today's program on the way after this. Back with more Market Talk right after the break. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for sticking with us here on the program today. Well, we are watching land values as we enter into 2024. And despite increasing pressure from declining commodity markets, rising interest rates and inflation, the land market seems to be moving into 2024, maintaining the value increases it has built during the past three years. It's evidenced in Farmers National Company's sale results logged in the past six months. Now, buyer demand remains strong for good quality crop land across the Midwest, while the supply of land for sale remains limited. Paul Shadegg, Senior Vice President of Real Estate Operations for Farmers National Company, says, quote, These factors further play into the dynamics of the supply and demand scenario and remain a large factor in supporting current values in early 2024. Now, successful farmland buyers continue to be local farmer operators and nearly 80% of transactions available cash has played a significant role in how aggressive buyers are able to bid at land sales within the past several years. Shadegg says, quote, current market operators equity positions have narrowed over the past year and lending has increased as outlined in the most recent ag credit survey from the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, end quote. Now, along with the increase in lending comes the expense from interest, which will cut into potential net farm income in the coming year for farm operators. Well, as we take a look here, the uh, Mexican government has extended duty exemptions for imported pork, beef, and poultry, and meaning that eligible suppliers will continue to enter Mexico duty-free through the end of the year. Aaron Borer, U.S. Meat Export Federation Vice President of Economic Analysis, has more details. So if we recall back to May of 2022 and the inflationary reduction efforts by several countries, that's when the Mexican government first implemented zero tariffs on all imports of beef, pork, and poultry. Not completely unheard of because Mexico had previously introduced temporary tariff-free quotas for imports. 
similar to the U.S., inflation in general has been coming down. So we kind of had a sense that they may go ahead and let that temporary tariff exemption expire at the end of 2023, but they extended it again through the end of 2024. And so now it's kind of become a longer term policy. And Borer explains how this has affected competition in the largest destination for U.S. pork. The U.S. and Canada are at zero duty through NAFTA and USMCA. So the zero tariff benefits were really going on the pork side to Europe. And then with Brazil beginning shipments in February of 2023, Brazil was also benefiting. Those exports from Brazil had ticked up above 5,000 metric tons a month. But then in late November, a Mexican court actually halted the access for Brazil related to their sanitary access. So the court case has resulted in at least a temporary suspension of Brazilian pork entering Mexico. 90% of our exports are chilled and difficult for Brazil to compete head on. So our share of total exports of pork to Mexico actually increased from the prior two years to 84%. So that Brazilian product that is made in Rhodes, they were taking market share from Canada and Brazil took share from Europe. Well, you can learn more online. Just go to usmef.org. Well, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley sees a turbulent year ahead for the farm and spending bills. Grassley accurately predicted the last one-year extension of the farm bill and now says... If we don't have a farm bill tax by late spring... It's unlikely that we'll get a farm bill this year. Standing in the way, two government shutdown deadlines short of agreement on full-year spending bills, including USDA. Well, it seems to me it'd be easy to move the January 19th one to February 2nd because the January 19th isn't going to shut down all of government, and February 2 would have that impact. But moving the first deadline covering USDA will take legislation that Grassley fears House ultra-conservatives will block, raising the prospect of a legislative end-run. There's a feeling that uh, since the Freedom Caucus controls the Rules Committee, that anything that's going to be done, the funding for government for the rest of the year, the uh, whole border issue connected with Ukraine and Israel is going to have to be done through uh, the uh, process of two-thirds votes in the United States Senate. And maybe the House. That, despite House and Senate leaders' deal on a top-line figure for spending bills. Pretty certain that all of these areas, not just in agriculture but across the board, is going to come in a little bit less than what the McCarthy-Biden agreement uh, did, but not a whole lot less. Well, the House defeated its earlier USDA spending bill over cuts to farm and food programs and an anti-abortion rider. Ultra-conservatives called the new top-line deal a total failure and could force Speaker Mike Johnson to again rely on Democrat votes, which cost former Speaker Kevin McCarthy his job. Well, the U.S. Grains Council just released four new web pages focused on the organization's sustainability efforts. The web pages provide information and resources on the practices and technologies that contribute to the sustainability of U.S. farms and agribusinesses. The pages showcase USGC's commitment to global climate efforts and how it is working with its members and international stakeholders to address sustainability challenges in the food, feed, fuel, and fiber international supply chains in which the products it represents participate. Carlos Suarez, USGC Manager of Sustainability Policy and Innovation, says, quote, the council is in a unique position to help barley corded sorghum farmers showcase their journey in adopting sustainable production practices and align with international supply chain requirements, end quote. 
Now, the council's goal is to increase the volumes of sustainably produced U.S. grains that reach international markets to support global food security and climate-smart international supply chains. You can find the pages online. Just go to grains.org. Well, the Eighth Circuit Court unanimously overruled a district court and upheld Iowa's 2019 and 2021 agriculture trespass laws as constitutional here this past week. After several organizations challenged the new law, the district court concluded that the intent requirement renders the law viewpoint-based and unconstitutional under the First Amendment. In the ruling, the Eighth Circuit Court said, quote, we respectfully disagree and therefore reverse, end quote. Now, the lawsuit was filed by groups including the Animal Legal Defense Fund and the Center for Food Safety, among others. Iowa Agriculture Secretary Mike Nagg responded saying, quote, The legislature and Governor Kim Reynolds enacted these laws to safeguard our ag community and protect our food security. It is welcome news that Iowa producers can now be protected from trespassers, and it sends a clear message to those who maliciously target our livestock farms, end quote. Critics describe the laws as ag-gag laws seeking to criminalize efforts to access and secretly record alleged animal abuse on farms. Well, that is all the time we have here on Market Talk today. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll talk with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing, as we gear up for the January WASDE reports on Friday. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to Market Talk.